If you've ever felt forgotten or forsaken by someone in your life, just understand that you're not alone. If you think about it, throughout our lifetime growing up, at some point probably we've all felt that way. Maybe it started out early on, um, if you're going through school, maybe it was by a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a relationship. Um, maybe it was by just a friend or someone that you thought was a friend. Maybe you felt that way as a parent. You felt maybe forgotten or forsaken by your kids. Or maybe as a child you felt that way about your parents. You've experienced that from one or both of your parents. Um, maybe you've been hurt through something that happened in the church and so you felt forgotten or even forsaken by the church. Maybe, for some of you, you've even felt forgotten or forsaken by God. And so the question that we're going to look at today is a question that actually Jesus expressed from the cross when he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And as we look throughout the scriptures, from Old Testament to New Testament, we see examples of people who loved God, followed God, wanted to honor him with their life, and yet when they went through difficult times, they felt like God, God's presence wasn't there, and they felt forgotten, they felt forsaken. In fact, it's expressed in the Psalms, and there was uh, some fellows named the sons of Korah that write this song. It's in Psalm 42, verses 9 through 10. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I walk in sorrow because of the enemy's oppression? Like the crushing of my bones, my enemies taunt me while they say all day long, where is your God? Maybe some of you feel that way right now as you go through this situation in our culture today and many things that seem to go against what the scripture teaches or what Christ would have us do. And People tend to downplay it or even make a mockery of it. Well, Jesus himself, as I mentioned, went through a time where he felt forgotten and forsaken by God, and it was when he was hanging on the cross. And let's look at it, the scene through Mark's eyes. It's recorded in Mark chapter 15, verses 33 through 36. So again, this is while Christ was on the cross being crucified. Now, when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is translated, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Centuries before this time, God had given the prophet Isaiah a glimpse into what he was going to do through Messiah for the world. And it also included a glimpse into this moment on the cross. Even though Isaiah didn't know anything about crucifixion at that time, it was not a form of execution that was even known about or invented at the time. But God wanted to give a glimpse. And it's important for us theologically to think a little bit about Jesus crying out on the cross. Why did that happen? What was he feeling? And understanding what was going on in that moment as best we can. But also, there's three lessons that... I believe we can learn from what Jesus did in the way that he cried out on the cross. So 
I hope you'll stay with me through this, but it's really important that we deal with the most important question is why would Jesus have even cried out that? But Isaiah chapter 53, the prophet records this. God had given him a glimpse into this moment. And beginning in verse 5, we're not going to look at the whole thing, but just a few verses. But verse 5 of Isaiah 53, Isaiah writes this, talking about Messiah. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You know, it's interesting. When we go through a hard time and we feel forgotten by God, uh, or maybe even forsaken by him, do we ever stop to think how many times, whether intentionally or unintentionally, we forget about God or we forsake God? It's real easy to live our life the way we want to live it, and then all of a sudden when we want God to do something and then we feel like he's not acting in the way that we should, and then we say, God, where are you? He could very easily in his love say, well, where have you been? You know, you've been going your own direction in life. You've been forgetting me, ignoring me, living life however you want. What about me? There's times I've felt forsaken and forgotten by you. Now, again, God is not that kind of a God that wants to throw it up in your face. But I'm just saying, if we're going to be honest with ourselves about this question that we ask God, then we need to be honest with ourselves and our actions. Because I think a lot of us, even as followers of, of God, followers of Christ, we can get so drawn in, up into the things of the world and the things that entice us and draw us away. And that's why I love this analogy. Jesus used the analogy. It's used throughout scriptures referring to us human beings as like sheep. Because sheep tend to just want to go where there's food. They want to be taken care of. They want to feel safe and protected. And so sometimes in that course of just going after getting their bellies full and look, filled and looking for the next little green pasture where they can chew on some grass and do those things that sheep do, they can tend to wander off from the rest of the pack or from their leader. They'll, a lot of times they'll stay together as a pack and one wanders off and the rest will follow. Well, again, in life as human beings, that's what we do. We'll begin to chase after our pursuits. And it's not like we shake our fist at God and say, God, forget you. I'm going on my way. We just get so focused on what we want that in so doing, we, we tend to wander away from God. And so we're reminded of that. All we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him, on Messiah, the iniquity of us all. Then if you jump on down to Isaiah 53, verse 10... It's written this way, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. Even in this psalm or in this prophecy, I'm sorry, that talks about what Messiah is going to do, and it seems rather cruel what God is going to, to allow to happen through Messiah and him being crushed and forsaken, there's ultimately a good outcome that results in victory, not only for us, but also for Messiah himself. So look at it again. It says, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. This is talking about the resurrection. 
Now, Jesus didn't have any biological offspring, but he certainly has spiritual offspring. Because of what Christ did on the cross of Calvary for you and I, giving his life for us and then conquering death and rising again, when we put our faith in Christ, faith and trust in Christ, we are born again spiritually. We become his spiritual offspring. So think about all the people that have come to Christ all of these generations since the time Christ died and rose again. He has borne much offspring. He will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. Verse 11, after he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. Again, the resurrection. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many and will bear their iniquities. Here is a legal term that is used way back then, that word justify. And that is not meant in the way like we'll use it sometimes when we try to quote unquote justify our actions where like we, we do something and maybe it's not exactly the right thing to do, but we'll try to make it seem like it's okay because of the situation we're in or the circumstance. And so we'll come up with reasons why we did that in order to quote unquote justify what we did. But in a court of law, you can't do that. In a court of law, there are legal standards that need to be met in order for something or someone to be justified, to be made right. So by his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquity. So there's something that God was giving a glimpse of Isaiah that was going to happen in God's eternal justice system that was going to be very significant on the cross as Messiah would bear our iniquities. There is something that would happen that would bring about a justification for us before God. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Now, at first glance, when you read this, it might seem like God is cruel and harsh, but note again that the outcome of this suffering that Messiah was going through was going to be very positive and would result in victory for Messiah and for all who trust in him. And it's a mistake to think that somehow Jesus, as Messiah, was forced to go through this by God the Father. Jesus himself taught that God was the one taking the initiative because of his great love for the world. He wanted to do something to bring us into a right relationship with him. And Jesus, as the Son of God, willingly took that on and cooperated with God the Father to bring about mankind's redemption. Jesus, talking about himself, said this to his disciples, greater love has no one than this, then a man lay down his life for his friends. And that's what Jesus was talking about, what he was going to do on the cross of Calvary. It was a willingness. He was going to lay it down. It wasn't taken from him. He wanted to cooperate. Now, I know it's difficult to grasp in our minds this whole idea of the triune nature of God, where there's only one God existing eternally, but he exists as God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. There's this three aspects of his being and his nature. And yet he's all one, and yet there's kind of like these three distinctions in that oneness. 
I've shared this many times over the years. I'll share it again today if you haven't heard it. But for my feeble mind, the best way that I can picture what, how that can be, how God can be one and yet three, is to think of a simple three-leaf clover. It's one clover. It's made of all the same substance, and yet it has three distinct leaves, yet it's all connected. It's one. And so that helps me when I think about how is it that God can be in heaven, and yet God can also, while he's in heaven, come to earth and become a human being and become one of us into this uh, universe that he created and walk among us. Well, again, if you picture that three-leaf clover, it's like, okay, here's God the Father, one of those leaves, the other leaf, Jesus the Son, which is still God, takes on flesh and blood, comes into the earth now and becomes fully human, but yet he also retains his deity, is fully God, and then his Holy Spirit exists, and also his Holy Spirit can come into the world and into our lives, and yet remain fully God, and yet connect with us. It really is a mystery, and it's a wondrous thing. But this is what the Bible indicates as we read it thoroughly from Old Testament to New Testament, this triune nature of God. There are some people in progressive Christianity or those that oppose Christianity that they kind of mock this whole concept that they call God a, a cosmic child abuser. Because who, what kind of a loving God would, would make their child die and suffer on the cross? Well, again, that's, that's a skewed view of who God really is and, and what he does and how he operates. So again, when we understand it's the triune nature of God, it was God himself suffering on that cross for you and I. And again, he did it willingly. It was not something that he was forced to do. In fact, we see this in the scripture in Isaiah chapter 50, verse 6. Listen to this. Again, God giving Isaiah a glimpse. I offered my back to those who beat me. Think about Jesus saying this. I offered my back, I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. By the way, who beat his back and who pulled the che- his cheek, the hair out of his cheeks? It wasn't God, it was people, it was you and I. It's the cruelty of humanity, the wickedness within us. I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. And in Isaiah chapter 52, verse 13, it says this, See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. So again, this Messiah, this one who is Jesus, was going to go through this persecution, this mocking, this suffering, and he did it willingly, knowing that in the end, he would have the victory, and God was working through all of these things. God wanted to atone for mankind's sin. And Jesus willingly took that assignment by paying the penalty so that God could remain just as a holy and righteous God and a legal judge and yet still offer mercy and grace and forgiveness to all of us who have sinned before him and broken his laws. Theologian John Stott wrote this, we must not then speak of God punishing Jesus or of Jesus persuading God For to do so, it would set them over against each other as if they acted independently of each other or were even in conflict with each other. The Father did not lay on the Son an ordeal that he was reluctant to bear, nor did the Son extract from the Father a salvation that he was reluctant to bestow. So 
there are some important things that we need to think about. And I'm going to delve into this just a little bit more as we go through this. But I want you to think now, what are the three things that we can learn from Jesus on the cross when we're facing times of feeling forgotten or forsaken by God? What can we learn from Jesus in those moments on the cross when he felt that way and he asked that question? And it begins with the very first and obvious thing is, first lesson is, it's okay to express your feelings. Jesus, when he hung on the cross, he didn't hold his feelings in and think, oh my goodness, if I tell people how I'm feeling now, they might not believe in God. They might not believe in what I'm doing. No, he expressed his feelings in his humanity. He cried out like we would, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We need to understand that when we are going through times of feeling hurt, whether it's in the church or with someone else and especially with God, it's all right to talk to someone about it. And you need, I believe, to find the right people to talk about that with, but you need to express your feelings to somebody so that they can listen, so that they can come alongside you, and so that they can offer support as you're going through that time. Years ago as your pastor, I went through that in 2005 after the fire. Uh, I've shared this before. I'm not going to tell the whole story, but the, the fire swept through the facility. My wife was diagnosed with breast cancer. We had to move. There was a lot of the dynamics going on. I was devastated. And at that time, I was just like, God, I, I don't understand what's going on here. I'm trying to follow you, and yet it seems like everything in my life is going away, and I don't even feel your presence anymore. What have I done, God? Please show me. And, and I felt kind of forgotten and dare I say, forsaken by God. I, I didn't, I just felt like it was something I had done. I wasn't looking to blame God. But then I began to question, is all this just, you know, is this all just fantasy? I mean, what, what is going on here? But I, I talked to the church leadership about it. I expressed my feelings. And they came alongside and supported me through that time. And uh, we worked through it. And I praise God for that. And that's why I'm saying it is important for us to express our feelings, you need to talk to someone so that hopefully you can get the help and the encouragement that you need. So God wants us to be honest about our feelings. But the, here's the thing. When Jesus cried out this, it's not as if God in that moment was, was separated or was some kind of break in his essence. But what it was is the fellowship that in his humanity, Jesus was feeling with God the Father. Again, he, even though he was God in the flesh, that he took on humanity. So there, he maintained his full deity and his Godhead, but there was this human part of him. And in that moment when he was hanging on the cross and bearing the punishment, the penalty for all of mankind's sins, he felt that break in that relationship with God. And therefore, he did feel God in his holiness couldn't look upon him in those moments. Because God in his holiness and his righteousness is not able to, to dwell in the presence of sin. So from that aspect of it, in, in God's judgmental position there, there had to be that break. And again, it's kind of hard to understand, but it all has to do with God's mercy and grace. Here's a story. I've shared this before. I'll share it with you again. It's not really an adequate uh, illustration of what was happening in this moment, but it might give you just a little bit of an idea. So there was a man who was traveling and uh, he was going through a town and he was in a hurry and he broke a bunch of traffic laws. He ran a red light, he sped, he, he did a lot of things, he had a lot of things on his mind. Anyway, he got pulled over, 
he got arrested, he got fined, he had to appear before the judge. The, the violations were so egregious. And so as he's standing there before the judge, the judge said, you've committed all these violations and here's your fine. Let's, let's say it was $1,000. Again, the amount, it matters, but it doesn't matter for sake of this illustration. Let's say it was $1,000. And the man began to weep, and he said, but you don't understand, Judge, I've got this going on, and I didn't really mean to do it. I've had a lot on my mind. And he, he, he gave a big story. And it was a true story, but he, he, was, he was sorry. But he said, and the man said, I don't have the money. And the judge said, well, I'm sorry, but, you know, the law requires you're going to have to go to jail. If you can't pay the fine, you're going to have to go to jail. But the judge had compassion on that man. But what was the judge to do? Because the judge couldn't just let the guy go. Because again, then the law wouldn't be fulfilled. So what the judge did was, in that moment, he got an idea. He took his robe off. He laid it down. He walked down off out of the bench. He walked down beside the man. He reached into his suit jacket, pulled out his wallet, and he pulled out $1,000. And he laid it on the table. Pretty well-paid judge, huh? <laughs> but anyway, again, just go with the point. He put $1,000 down on the table, stuck the wallet back in his jacket, walked back up on the bench, put his robe on, and said, the law requires you to pay the fine. Do you have the funds? And by the way, he had told the, the man that he would give him that money if the man wanted to receive it. And the man gratefully took the money and said, yes, I have it. Thank you. Paid the, paid the fine with the judge's money. The judge banged the gavel down and said, your fine has been paid, the penalty is satisfied, you're free to go. Now again, this is, that doesn't even come close to telling us what God has done, but hopefully it helps you to understand how God was required, because he's holy, because he's right, righteous, because he is just, he can't just excuse all of our sin and say, well, you all didn't mean it, it's okay. Just continue on with your life and do whatever you want, and in the end it's all going to be okay. That would not be a just God. Think of it in this way, if somebody murdered somebody that you love dearly, and I mean they cruelly murdered them, and that person went before the judge, and the judge looked at that person and said, you know, we, we all make mistakes, and, and we all mess up, so, you know, it's okay, you're forgiven, I'll let you off the hook, go ahead, go and live the rest of your life. How would you feel about that judge? I don't think there's a single person that would say, oh, what a wonderful judge, they would say, I cannot believe the judge was that uh, careless with the law and being disrespectful of those that had been hurt by those wrongdoings. And so that helps us understand how God in his righteousness for all time, think of all the wrongdoings that we do to each other and we do against God. It's all sin and we're all guilty of it in one way or another. So God cannot just give us a little wink and pat us on the head and say it's okay because it's all good. Because sin does cause harm, and God wants us to understand that, and there are consequences to sin. And God understands the hurt that it brings, and God is saying, in my love, I'm willing to take on even that curse, that hurt of your wrongs and your sin and the penalty of sin, which is death, and I'm willing to take it on myself, and I'm going to bear it for you, so that if you'll trust in the payment I'm making for you through my son Christ, you can be forgiven. I can remain just as a holy and righteous God, and my justice system has been fulfilled because I paid the fine but I can also offer you love and mercy and grace and forgiveness. This is what was going on in that moment when Jesus was hanging on the cross. 
In fact, it's interesting, the scripture describes Jesus at times as being our advocate or in other words, our defense attorney. That literally is a legal term where if you were in a court of law and you needed a defense attorney to stand next to you to help bring your defense, Jesus is that for you and I. He paid the penalty for your sin and my sin before a holy and righteous God. Pastor Erwin Lutzer puts it this way, let us suppose that Jesus was just a man, a perfect man, but nothing more. He could only make a sacrifice for one other person. But Jesus was the sacrifice for many people, so he had to compress an eternity of hell into three hours. As best we can, we must grasp that this was infinite suffering for the infinite Son of God. There was no way to transfer sin without transferring its penalty. To put it plainly, he was receiving what was due us. The wrath of the Father burned down toward the Son once the reckoning was made. Indescribable sin was in contact with infinite justice and proved once again infinite holiness. God has a purpose in everything he does. And 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, talks about what Jesus was going through here. It sums it up in one brief statement like this, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, talking about Jesus. God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. So think about that. Jesus, in all of his holiness and perfection and righteousness, and he had never sinned, in those moments on the cross, he was feeling the weight not only of all of the people's sin from the time that he was living in, in the world, but he was also in those moments feeling the weight of the sin of everybody that had lived in history leading up to the time of that current generation and the sins of you and I and everybody in that, from that time on in the future, including now and even in the future beyond us. Think about all of the wrongdoing that's in the world just right now in our generation. Think about the, the lying, the genocide, the child abuse, murder, adultery, all kinds of greed, every kind of depravity, sexual lusts that are not healthy for us. A, an innocent, perfect, holy Savior, Jesus, in those moments was feeling the weight of that for the entire world, past, present, and future. And it was all compressed in about a three-hour time. Now do you understand why Jesus might have cried out, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because in those moments, he was bearing the penalty for all of our wrongdoing before a holy and righteous God. And it's because God loved us so much that he allowed Jesus to endure that. How painful it must have been for God, not only to feel it in himself, but then to see this one that he had brought into the world that was fully human, had fully God, and yet fully human, and to see that happen. It was God's great love. And I'll say this, it wasn't the nails that held Jesus to the cross. It was his love for you and I. So we need to understand, again, this is going a lot deeper than just the question, but I want you to understand why Jesus in those moments would have felt the weight of that. Only Jesus, as the true God-man, could withstand such an indignation of God, the Father, against sin. And so after three hours of hanging there and feeling this, 
He couldn't hold the anguish in anymore, and he cried out, and he asked that question that sometimes you and I ask when we're going through a hard time. My God, why have you forsaken me? So the second thing is, he not only expressed how he was feeling, but he was actually expressing it in a prayer. So even though he was feeling forsaken by God, he was still crying out to God. He was praying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that's just the second simple little thing that you and I can learn when we're feeling forsaken or forgotten by God or by others is to keep praying anyway. You might say, but Mark, I feel like my prayers aren't being answered. I feel like God isn't hearing me. It doesn't matter. Keep praying anyway. It's what Jesus did. He expressed it. He prayed. You keep praying. Why should I keep praying? Well, I can tell you this. If you stop praying, it's not going to do you any good. You may as well keep praying. And I realize sometimes you can, you can think, well, I just don't know if God's hearing me. Well, sometimes there's things happening that you don't realize. And even though you don't feel it, doesn't mean that he's not hearing your prayer. God is still there. Years ago, the first time, one of the first times I ever flew, uh, was flying out of Pittsburgh, and it was a terrible storm, uh, dark storm clouds, rain was just pouring down. I, was, I had a seat near the window, and I was really nervous because, again, I hadn't flown that much before, if, if at all. That might have, that was maybe the first, second time. Anyway, it doesn't matter. I hadn't flown much. I was scared. <laughs> and I'm sitting there, and I'm seeing the rain just beat on the windows and I'm thinking should we even be flying in this and I'm like I don't don't feel too safe in this airplane but the plane took off anyway and I was praying and I had a little bible with me and so I was just focusing on that I was just reading and praying okay God please keep us safe and sitting by that window seat uh, as I was reading and looking at scriptures all of a sudden I saw a bright beam of sunlight hit the bible and I'm like, what, what is up with that? And I looked out the window, and the sun was shining. There wasn't a cloud anywhere. And I'm like, what in the world happened? There's no way that storm ended that quick. I'm a little slow. So I looked out the window, and I looked down, and there was all the storm clouds. And then the light came on, literally. <laughs> oh, we flew above the storm. And so the storm was still raging below. Nothing had changed below, but for me, everything had changed because now I had a different perspective. I was above that storm that I thought was going to take my life or was, I was worried about. Now I'm up in this glorious sunshine, and it hit me. That's how you are, God. When we go through these trials of life and these storms, everything seems so dark and dreary, and yet you're right there. You never change. You're right there shining for us. You're available for us. And I've never forgotten that. In fact, that's why I'm telling you today in a sermon. Never forgotten that lesson. Now, sometimes for a moment I'll forget it when I'm going through a tough time, but then God reminds me, just keep trusting me. Even when you don't feel my presence, I'm there. So we still need to pray. Keep praying to God. Jesus was forsaken in those few brief moments. And again, it was just the fellowship that he was feeling with God that was broken. It wasn't that he ceased being God in those moments, but as he was bearing the weight of this world's sin, That fellowship was broken, and sometimes we can feel like that fellowship is broken between us and God, but keep trusting his promises. Jesus was forsaken by God in that moment so that you and I would never have to be. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 and 2 says this, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Here it is. He's like our defense attorney. 
He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but for the sins of the whole world. We need to be reminded from the Word of God. That's why we have the written Word of God, so that when we go through times of feeling forsaken or feeling forgotten, we can go back and we can read these scriptures and we can read the promises of God and we can know what Jesus has done for us and we can continue to have our faith in Him even though our feelings at the time are not maybe what they should be and we wonder where God is. It's also why in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16, it says this, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet he did not sin. Every way as we are. That means when he hung on the cross, he felt forsaken. And he expressed that when you feel forsaken by God and forgotten by God, you have someone in Christ that you can pray to and say, Jesus, I don't even feel you right now. I don't feel the Father. I don't know what's going on. And Jesus is saying, I understand. I've been there too. I've been through that. But I did that for you so that you could know you're not forsaken. These are my promises for you. And that's why it goes on in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, and says this, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Again, don't give up on God. He loves you. He's proven that through his son Christ. And that's why we have these promises so that when we go through these difficult times, we can still trust him. And that's the third and the final thing that I want to share with you. These are very simple points. Express your feelings. Talk to someone about it. Keep praying anyway. Look at the promises of God. Look at all that he's done through Christ. That's why I'm telling you what Jesus did for you on the cross in this moment where he felt forsaken so you can understand his great love for you. And he conquered death so that through faith and belief in him, you too can be forgiven and have that confidence that God will not forsake you and has not forsaken you. And Jesus will not forsake you because he died for you and rose again. But the third thing is Jesus kept trusting God even though he felt forsaken on the cross. In fact, again, we see it in his prayer. He said, my God, my God. He was still trusting God even though he felt forsaken. And that phrase that Jesus spoke was actually one that was recorded in Psalm 22. In fact, it's right before the famous 23rd Psalm. You know the 23rd Psalm? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leadeth me beside still waters, you know, all of that. The psalm right before Psalm 23 that everybody loves starts out with these words. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In fact, the entire psalm of Psalm 22 is a picture of Jesus on the cross. And again, I believe it's a prophetic psalm because David wrote this again as the Holy Spirit was impressing upon him. He was going through a tough time. But David, as you read Psalm 22 and some of the ways that he describes it, when you compare it to what Jesus went through on the cross, it is a depiction of all of the things that Jesus went through. It's like, a, it's like a metaphor of what Jesus went through on the cross. And again, David wrote this at a time before crucifixion was even known. It wasn't even invented yet as a form of execution. But let's look at a few of those verses in Psalm 22 and see what we can learn from that. Because again, Jesus, as he prayed that prayer, was literally quoting this psalm, which was a prayer that people prayed when they were going through tough times. Jesus continually shows us that when we go through tough times, we need to look to the scriptures that are written and let those be our guide 
to, in how we should go through situations in life. Psalm 22, 1, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer, by night, and I'm not silent. Yet you are, the enthroned, you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the praise of Israel. And you, our fathers, put their trust. They trusted, and you delivered them. They cried to you and were saved. In you, they trusted and were not disappointed. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by men and despised by the people. Have you ever felt lower than low? You know, we use a phrase today, felt like the scum of the earth. You know, we have all these sayings. But back in those days, that's kind of how you expressed it. If you felt so low that you felt lower than a human being, you just say, man, I'm just nothing but a worm. I am a worm. And this is how David felt in these moments. And again, this was a picture of Christ on the cross because he was scorned by people and he was despised. The one who came and healed people and taught God and showed great compassion and love because in some people's view, he wasn't acting like they thought God should act in that moment and, and wasn't doing for them politically they, what they thought God was going to do for them politically. They rejected him and they went from praising him to scorning him. And they walked by him as he hung on the cross and they spat on him and they shook their heads and they said, oh, if you're really the son of God, why don't you come down from the cross? Why don't you prove it? As if him touching and healing people and having power over nature and all those things wasn't enough proof. See, sometimes people don't believe because they just don't want to believe. What about you? Are you still looking for some kind of proof that God is God or that Jesus is the Messiah? He has given us plenty of evidence you need to start considering the evidence that he's given. The psalm ends with a, a promise of hope and deliverance and victory. It ends in verse 22 and 24. It says this. I will this is, again, think of this as Jesus now as well. I will declare your name to my brothers in the congregation. I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him, revere him. All you descendants of Israel, for he has not despised or disdained the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. Did you hear that? So even when Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God's plan was still in place. God knew what he was going to do. And he was just saying, Jesus, just hang in there because as you accomplish this, I'm going to restore you. You're going to be risen again. There's going to be many people come to me. My purposes are being accomplished because I want to do this to bring everybody into relationship with me. Forgive them of their sin and I can still remain just as a holy and righteous God. And that's what he did for us. This is a lesson that we have to learn. Still trusting God, even when you're having these feelings of being forgotten or forsaken. That's what Jesus did because a little bit later in Luke chapter 23, verse 46, his words are recorded. The last things he spoke from the cross, it says this, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. This was after he had said, why have you forsaken me? He still was trusting God. And so he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. King David writes this in Psalm 31, verse 5. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Deliver me, Lord, my faithful God. Job, in all of his suffering, we've read about, we hear about all that Job went through, feeling forsaken by God. 
he still demonstrated trust even through it because in Job chapter 13, verse 15, in the midst of all of his suffering, he makes this statement about God. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. What about you? That is an extreme test of faith, but ultimately we have to trust God. We don't understand all of his ways. We don't understand his workings. This pandemic that he has, un- I don't want to say he has unleashed, he's allowed it, but this pandemic that has been unleashed on the world is a terrible thing. It's not a good thing. But God is working his purposes in it. We don't understand it, but you have to trust God as being sovereign. And the question is, how are you going to respond to this pandemic? It's not only just about everybody else. How are you personally going to respond? What's it doing to your faith? How are, how are you going to trust God through that? Romans 8.28 says this, we know that in all things, in all things, that includes a pandemic, God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. But Mark, I know people who have loved Jesus and they've died because they've gotten this virus and they died. I understand that. I didn't say that was a good thing. It doesn't say that all things are good, but it says in all things, God will work good and he'll work his purpose. And I'll tell you the best thing is because those that have put their trust and faith in Christ, though they might have died a terrible death, and I'm not making light of it at all, and it's been a strain on everyone, they have a hope beyond this life for all eternity, and it's all good after this. And if we don't believe that, then you all just may as well go home now. And you may as well just live life however you want and throw your Bibles away. Because if you don't believe that, it's all just a farce for you. This is either real or it isn't. This is serious, and it's important. And that's why I'm speaking the truth in love to you today. I understand you feel forsaken at times and forgotten and you feel discouraged and and defeated. I have been there. And sometimes still to this day, some days are better than others. But I have a promise in God through Christ. And that's why he's given us the scriptures to go to, to read, to remember, to be reminded. It's why I'm bringing you this message today. We have this promise. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 through 26 For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So that includes every one of us. But look at the good news. And are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice. Again, God's justice system, this legal term that we need to understand. Because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. It's important to understand justification from God's viewpoint, not your viewpoint. Jesus was forsaken of the Father for a brief time so that we might never be forsaken. Again, Hebrews 4.15, we do not have a high priest in Jesus who is unable to sympathize with us, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are yet without sin. Here's the promise. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus spoke these words to his followers. John 14.18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And the last thing he spoke after he gave the great commission to his disciples to say, go into all the world and preach the gospel, make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe and and to do all the things I've commanded you. And then he finished it with this, and remember, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. 
he will not forsake you. Even though sometimes you might feel like it, keep trusting him. Would you stand and let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your promises. Thank you for your great love. Thank you for your justice and your judgment. We, we can't fully, Lord, comprehend it. And yet I thank you that throughout these generations and these centuries, you have spoken to people and you've had them record your word down and it's stood the test of time, even though once again today in our time and in our age, it's being attacked and people are trying to undermine your word. I thank you that your word is sure and it has stood the test of attacks in previous centuries and, and political uh, movements that have tried to wipe your word out and it still exists today because your word stands forever because it is established in heaven and it has been given to us. So Lord, help us to have a love for your word, to read and have a hunger for your word that we might understand and that might help us, Lord, when we have all these questions that we've been thinking about through this series and even this one today when we're feeling perhaps forgotten and forsaken even by you. Forgive us for those times, Lord, and strengthen us. And I just pray right now for any who are feeling that way in their life that you would use this message to encourage them and speak to them and strengthen their faith and help them to come to you. And for those who have not trusted you as Savior, I pray that they'll see the great hope and the great price that you paid for us, that they would not neglect or reject your salvation, but they would receive Jesus as their Savior and be willing to turn from the direction that they're going and turn to you and follow you, Lord, with their life. Fill them with your spirit. Fill, fill us all with your spirit and help us to honor you with all that we do and to continue to trust you no matter what. For it's in your name that we pray.